All right. So I'm here with Martin. Uh, he's a very interesting uh, guy that uh, I, I came across. And uh, Martin, can you kind of tell, tell us what you've done in the past, what career you had, and, and uh, what your role is in this podcast? Sure. Thank you, Mr. Aziz. And thank you for uh, inviting me to join on your podcast. It's uh, been a pleasure to speak to you over the course of the last couple of days and get to know you. As you mentioned, my name is Martin Conroy. I am what's known as a real-time whistleblower. In 2014, while working for the most ethical company in the world, the Aflac Duck, uh, an escalating amount of fraud, criminal activity, and theft was being reported to me and up Aflac's a sales chain of command in the Northeast Territory. At the end of November 2014, while conducting a presentation at a precinct in New York City, in Queens specifically, to a room full of New York City police officers. One of them approached me after the presentation, explained to me that there was fraud being committed against his brothers and sisters in the precinct approximately one week earlier. At that time, I reported that fraud to my supervisor and several weeks later reported it to Aflac market director, Ken Meyer. From that point forward, there was an escalation of retaliation against me for reporting this fraud. So much so that approximately one year later, I wrote a letter to Aflac CEO, a confidential letter, outlining the fraud that was being committed against the Policemen Benevolent Association members, but also explaining that there was massive amounts of uh, criminal activity in Aflac's Northeast. And it wasn't just the criminal activity, Mr. Aziz, there were violations of uh, human rights, sexual harassment, age, racial, handicap, and religious discrimination, intimidation, extortion, and retaliation. After uh, Mr. Amos received that letter, AFLAC then uh, instituted uh, uh, an escalating process of retaliating against me for reporting that fraud until on November, on August 17, 2016, I was locked out of the Manhattan office. I then retained counsel and approximately eight other individuals at that time came, came forward, people that I did not know, people from across the country, people that I was referred to, reporting the identical uh, types of fraud that were uh, being committed against the brand. Now, if you recall, approximately one week after I was locked out of the AFLAC office. That's when the Wells Fargo scandal blew up because the city of Los Angeles and the Consumer Protection Bureau, CFPB, fined Wells Fargo approximately $150 million. Once that happened and we were able to see in public domain based on the newspaper reporting that the type of fraud that had been committed at Wells Fargo from 2003 until through 2013, when the LA Times first published their articles, right up until the big fines from the CFPB and the city of Los Angeles, the fraud was continuing to uh, be committing, committed against consumers. The fraud was identical. And the newspaper articles gave us a roadmap to see that it was identical. The lawsuits that were, file, that were being filed, the rulings that were uh, coming out, so on and so forth. So over the course of the next couple of months, we communicated back and forth with AFLAC until November 2017, AFLAC requested for us to come to 
the table in what was known as a confidential, uh, global confidential out of court settlement. So they asked us for what type of evidence we would like, what type of evidence we had, and what it would take to settle our disputes. We provided them that evidence, and uh, under the uh, confidential um, federal rule 408, I believe it is, where your any information that you're so you transfer back and forth to each other under these confidential settlement proceedings are not supposed to be used uh, because again, it's in a settlement proceeding. Well, yeah. once that saw the evidence that we had, they filed temporary restraining orders against me and eight other individuals, prohibiting us from filing any actions outside of arbitration. At that time, we had supplied information to multiple federal and state agencies regarding the criminal activity that was occurring at AFLAC. From that point forward, AFLAC instituted a massive cover-up. They took down reports and recruiting videos. They changed their entire compensation plan. They uh, uh, made significant changes to how they did business on the streets and uh, basically turned the entire company of AFLAC into what's known as an enrollment company. What most people don't realize on the streets, Mr. Aziz, is if you purchase a quote-unquote AFLAC policy right now, over 70% of those policies are being offered and sold through other carriers. They are not AFLAC policies. So while the operation is advertising purchase AFLAC, when you actually sit down with a representative to purchase the policies, for one, it's not an AFLAC policy, and for two, the overwhelming majority of the time, the person who is selling you that policy is an independent contractor. Even though they identify themselves as being employees from AFLAC, they are not. They are not the people who are actually selling the policies. It's quote-unquote independent contractors who are selling the policies. So in January 2018, The Intercept published a series of articles outlining all the fraud. Uh, uh, at the uh, the fraud at the on the streets level, but also how they were how AFLAC set up their compensation plan to manipulate AFLAC's key reporting metrics. Now, if you remember the Wells Fargo scandal, what you'll recall is that there was over five million additional accounts that were opened to uh, commit the type of fraud that occurred at Wells Fargo, but those five million accounts the entire time that they were open only generated a couple million dollars worth of revenue for the bank. Now, a layman, somebody on the streets will, might ask, well, why would you possibly do that? Why would you commit fraud against your consumers, your customers, when you're not generating any revenue for it? The reason for that, Mr. Aziz, is because in banking and insurance, uh, many companies report what is known as key reporting metrics back to Wall Street to show that it's a healthy organization. And the, uh, one of the most important metrics that is reported on AFLAC's behalf is a number that's known, that's uh, designated as average weekly producers. In other words, the amount of producers who are in the field uh, writing insurance on a weekly or uh, a normal basis. Well, that number can be easily manipulated through a process that very other, very few insurance carriers use, but AFLAC has built their entire business around. They uh, put forward-looking production, in other words, how many accounts or policies are actually sold. 
but it doesn't matter behind the scenes who's actually selling those policies. Not only that, how long those policies are in effect. So what they will do is they will take a policy that's sold and they will put it in a new agent's name to manipulate the pay plan. The sales representatives on the streets and the coordinators and the managers and even the corporate employees are completely aware of this type of fraud. So much so that Aflac took steps in summer of 2018 to cut back on the most obvious of the, of the type of situation code fraud that was uh, being utilized. So once all this happened, and I realized that uh, through uh, no choice of mine, but through the choice of AFLAG in filing a temporary restraining order against me and my teammates, placed all the evidence that I, in a confidential settlement proceeding, provided to them in public domain. So they turned me into what, once again, I designate as a real-time whistleblower. Now, the reason why uh, this designation came about is our leader, our pioneer, Ms. Susan Fowler, reported the widespread uh, criminal activity and sexual harassment that was prevalent at Uber on her blog post. Now, mm. she started her blog post, Mr. Aziz, about six months after I started posting uh, about the criminal activity and the parallels between Aflac, the most ethical company in the world, and Wells Fargo, all through August 2016 into spring of 2017. So since Ms. Fowler did her post, I've posted hundreds of posts outlining the parallels between not only Wells Fargo, but now Aflac's primary distribution vehicle in Japan, where Aflac does 80% of its business, Japan Post Holdings. And fall of 2019, the Japan Post Holdings scandal which outlined identical fraud as what occurred on Wells Fargo and identical fraud that was included in our accusations that AFLAC has categorically denied. So where we are now, Mr. Aziz, is that AFLAC, the amount of fraud that AFLAC uh, is allowing to commit on the streets has increased exponentially. I receive calls, inboxes, texts, sometimes multiple times per month from people who have been selling and working for AFLAC in some cases for 15, 20 years that reported criminal activity up the chain of command and to AFLAC Trust's own uh, 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 special investigations unit and then were retaliated up, into, up, up, in, up to and including canceling their contract. As I continue to receive those calls, those texts, those inboxes, I continue to post online, making sure that the world understands how corrupt the leadership of this operation truly is. So, so essentially, what what, what uh, sales reps, independent contractors were doing was where they were they would get current clients and transfer those current clients onto new contracts, um, and then make and then so they they would get credit and earn extra commission, right? Correct. That and then. Was that was one of the many fraudulent tactics. Yeah, that's one thing, right? And then there's also sexual harassment. Yes. Uh, there is also, what, what else, what else uh, was included in, in these claims? Well, in our initial uh, uh, filing, our initial dispute notice, we outlined you know, violations of federal and state regulations and laws, mail and wire fraud, 
uh, sexual oh. harassment. Since then, sexual assault and rape has come forward for uh, rape from Aflac's founder, alleged rape, I, I should say. If you read the complaints that were filed in Dan Amos's cousin's courtroom, the CEO's cousin, uh, 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 Ms., uh, the Honorable Judge uh, Clay Land, has been ruling over Aflac cases in Columbus, Georgia for the last 15 years, Mr. Aziz. Wow. But, uh, this U.S. District Court judge claims that he was unaware that the CEO of the largest company in town that has been the CEO for the last 30 years, that his cousins and uncles and aunts are married to the CEO's cousins, nephews, and nieces, that he wasn't aware that the CEO was his actual cousin. He's saying that. Wow, okay. He's gone on the record that once we brought it to his attention that he shouldn't recuse himself from not only our derivative suit that was initially filed in New York City, but also a sealed case that was uh, going on between a Miss Leanne Youngblood West and Dan Emels and several of the uh, current and former executives and board members of AFLAC. That even though uh, he was um, as once again, that he has sat over well over two dozen AFLAC cases that he was aware that the CEO was his cousin. That is crazy. That is insane. Why? I, I don't understand that. So, so then the CEO is probably getting away with a lot then, I'm guessing. If you speak to the people on the streets, you'll realize that uh, Dan Amos and his criminally minded leadership have been getting away with this type of criminal activity for decades, but it's really been exasperated uh, over the course of the last 10 years. In 2010, AFLAC changed their compensation plan significantly to have us focus on mass recruiting, a la Herbalife, the Herbalife scam. Uh, and instead of focusing on training and bringing up associates the correct way, AFLAC has had us focus on just mass recruiting and manipulating the compensation plan. So it makes you think all these, uh, these companies are supposed to be the gold standard of their industry. Like Wells Fargo is supposed to be the gold standard of the banking industry. AFLAC is, is probably the gold standard of insurance. Um, who, like if that's the case, then who, who can we trust? Because is this rampant across the industry or is it just AFLAC or is it, a company or like, I think most people are thinking if that's the gold standard, then is every, every, every person in that industry like that or every leader in that industry like that? Well, it's unfortunate, but uh, the secret is now out. And the issue is that even though there, there was massive fraud reported to uh, AFLAC senior leadership, as opposed to instituting steps to prevent that fraud, to happen the way Wells Fargo should have when the LA Times article published in September 2013. They basically took everybody's leashes off. And now people are actually being intimidated at the workplace to commit fraud. For instance, I had a report from a longtime insurance broker in Long Island whose son was recruited by AFLAC out of the Queen's office. 
an individual there by the name of Eugene Lieberman instructed this person to sign an application on behalf of the policyholder. And when this individual refused to do so, AFLAC allowed Mr. Lieberman to cancel his contract. There's a clause in the associate contract that states that AFLAC could cancel your contract with 30 days written notice for any reason whatsoever. And they allowed this to happen. They allowed this criminal to intimidate this young man into signing an application, at which point, very fortunately, he did not, but to intimidate him to sign an application. And when he refused to do so, they terminated his contract. Now, mind you, they did not terminate the contract of Mr. Lieberman, who we have supplied evidence to AFLAC himself had committed massive amounts of fraud. He is still working there and still committing criminal activity on a day-to-day -day basis. This Mr. Aziz is uh, the likes of a criminal operation, the, world, uh, like the likes that the world has never seen. And now it's finally being exposed. Wow. Um, this is uh, very disappointing, um, to say the least, you know. But uh, do you think... Uh, what is, do you think the CEO is oblivious to some of these things or do you think the CEO knows of everything is, and, and just wants to cover things up? Well, Mr. Zeiss, it's either one of two things. As leader of the most ethical company in the world, yeah. a company founded and run under Christian morals and, and, and uh, uh, under Christian morals, you have to know what is happening with your brand. The Aflac brand, just the name is worth over $20 billion annually. While AFLAC generates uh, is somewhere around a $35 million company with 150 million, uh, hundred, excuse me, 35 billion, $150 billion worth of assets. It's the name that sells. Now, if you have this type of brand and you've built this type of brand, you protect that brand. So when criminal activity is reported to you, you act on it immediately. The issue is that Mr. Amos has been aware of fraud being committed against NYPD police officers since 2013. He allowed that practice to continue until 2018, at which 150 of New York's finest were duped into committing fraud. And this CEO, this leader, did nothing about it. Nor did his president of sales. How are these? Uh, how are these? How are these police officers duped into fraud? Can you explain that and list it out? Sure. Yeah. In order, in order to have access to uh, certain types of AFLAC coverage, they have to be offered through the employer. They have to be part of what's known as a payroll deduction. So, in order to do that, the head or the president or the owner of the company has to allow their staff members, their employees, their members to have access to these voluntary coverages. In the city of New York, each union decides whether or not they are going to allow their members to have access to which voluntary benefits. It could be AFLAC, it could be Colonial, it could be MetLife, it could be anybody. So in the city of New York, there are several law enforcement unions who offer AFLAC access to AFLAC to their staff members, and there are several that do not. The Policeman Benevolence Association has gone on the record, the leadership of the PBA, for 
as long as I've been contracted with Affleck, that they did not want to allow their 35,000, 30,000 plus members, the NYPD officers to have access to these plants. But yet the Sergeant's Benevolent Association and their 5,100, approximately 5,000 members did have access to the plants. Well, the criminals in the Northeast, specifically New York operation, realized that there was a glitch in the payroll system. That if they signed somebody up, say a patrolman, and put on the application that that member was part of the Sergeant's Benevolent Association or another union in New York, that they would be able to have access to the coverage because the city was not checking the payroll deduction. They just verified that they were an employee, but they didn't verify where that employee was supposed to, uh, where that employee was a member of. This glitch put uh, the patrolmen, the PBA members, in a very difficult position because the portion of the application that they filled out stated, one, that they read through the entire application and they filled it out, but also, secondly, that they are verifying in writing that they are eligible for these benefits because they are a member of the SBA. What the criminals on the streets would do, Mr. Aziz, is they would have them fill out a partial application, and once the patrolman got up from the table, fill out the rest of the application, submit it to AFLAC, and say that they're part of the union. The problem is, is that that's either mail or wire fraud. So here you have these officers who are being led, who are being led by unscrupulous, unethical uh, people to fill out an application that their careers could be in jeopardy, Mr. Aziz. When this comes out, these phenomenal, incredible NYPD officers potentially could lose their jobs because Dan Amos and his criminally minded leadership has been aware of this fraud being committed against them since 2013. And they allowed it to persist. And once it what did come out, all what they said was, oh, it was a mistake. It was five years worth of mistakes, 150, worth, 150 police officers, and they knew about it in writing since 2013. They allowed it to persist until 2018, and they said, oops, it was a mistake, and it'll never happen again. Unfortunately, this is the insurance industry. You don't get to say, oops, it'll never happen again. You committed mail and wire fraud, you have to answer for it. And that's unfortunately where we are right now, that the leadership of AFLAC, Instead, instead of taking action at the end of 2013, when they were first notified about the fraudulent and criminal activity that was happening in the Northeast by the same culprits, Mr. Aziz, these were the same culprits that committed the fraud and the criminal activity time and time again and are still committing it today. They did nothing about it, sir. Zero. Yeah. Um, is it just because they want to protect the brand? Is it because they're just like, they, they don't want this to be... Um, known to the public or is it i'm just kind of confused why it it would seem that as a leader in a corporation all like if you see some some misdoings or something going on that isn't scrupulous you would call that out to protect the brand as opposed to trying to cover it up um so it seems like what it seems like to me is that there's probably more that's that's hidden and so because of that even like minor like you know, uh, to some extent, like things that would be minimally unethical, you would try to cover even that up because if somebody found that out, then they would dig further, right? Exactly, Mr. Aziz. You're protecting the brand. Now, there's one or two ways that you could protect the brand. You can either do it the correct way or you could do it 
the incorrect way. The correct way is making sure that everybody performs with the utmost ethics, integrity, respect, courage, honor, honesty, compassion. Or you could turn around and do it criminally. You could get your cousin elected to a U.S. District Court seat. You could set up what is known as a criminal gang in town called the Fish House Gang. And you could take out anybody who challenges you, much the way the leadership of AFLAC did against their own in 1991. Now, we talk about this uh, U.S. District Court judge and how we are alleging that it's inconceivable that he did not know that Dan Amos was his cousin when he took, when this judge had our derivative suit assigned to his courtroom from New York. Out of all the U.S. District Court judges in Columbus that could have been assigned this, US, this derivative court suit when it was transferred, and why it was transferred, nobody knows, from New York to Columbus, how it landed in Danny Amos's cousin's courtroom. Well, let me read you a newspaper article, Mr. Aziz. Yeah, sure. Amos's son-in-law, victim of wreck. This is 14 November, 1991. The son-in-law of the late John Amos, American Family Life Assurance Company founder, AFLAC founder, has been identified as the man killed in a fiery car crash on Blackman Road Thursday night, Muskegee County. Chief Deputy Coroner Ricky Weeks said Friday. William Donald Donnie Land, 37, of 6333 Warm Springs Road, was pronounced dead at the accident site shortly after 10 p.m., Weeks said. Land was apparently driving south on Blackman Road, about a half mile north of Warm Springs Road, when he lost control of his car, which skidded, rolled onto its side, and hit a tree. Columbus police records indicate the car and four men stopped and tried to pull land from the car. Authorities said land's body was sent to the state crime lab for uh, for autopsy. We said now that sounds like a pretty normal event, except for approximately one month previously. Judge Clayland's cousin or whoever this was to him, because it's the Lands and the Amoses who pretty much run Columbus, sued Dan Amos. And what he said during his deposition was, Land testified in his deposition that the acceleration clause was included in the agreement at the request of Amos to discourage a hostile takeover. Land explained that although the state sales coordinators had corporate identities, those corporations were merely conduits for family members of Amos and that Amos was concerned that a hostile takeover could result in his family members who were in key positions losing their jobs. Land also testified that he and Amos agreed that under the acceleration clause, Affleck would continue paying the commissions until Land retired. Well, that is the most aggressive that we found out about as far as how Dan Amos and his criminally minded leadership deals with those people who check And I will go on the record on this podcast as saying, Mr. Aziz, that it, had it not been for what I placed in social media over the course of the last several years, I'm, I have no doubt that my fate would have been the same. Wow. Um, and, and so, 
uh, let's talk about your concern for me. Um, you, you said you almost even you almost prevented me from doing this podcast because you thought that I, I could experience some retaliation from Affleck. Um, and uh, and I was like, I don't care. I'll I'll do it. It's fine. I'm not I'm not worried about this. Um, I mean, what could they possibly do to me? I haven't done anything to them. I'm just interviewing someone. Now they could probably play legal games with me. I guess I suppose um, try to take me to court or something. I don't know. But um, you think that's the level? That's the level that they will stoop to in order to protect their brand or protect their image. They're going to do everything to uh, make sure that this doesn't uh, hit mainstream media. When, uh, when Judge Land also miraculously had the Lee and Youngblood West matter in his courtroom, he sealed the entire case. So while Affleck and their uh, six different law firms, uh, 28 or 29 partners, Battled, battled against us, they were doing so, so in a sealed courtroom. So the media could not report the truth of what occurred, what happened to Ms. Leanne Youngblood West and others, because Ms. Youngblood West was not the only person who was uh, sexually harassed or sexually assaulted or raped by senior AFLAC leadership. Did Dan Amos, did, you said Dan Amos uh, at one point raped, or was it, was it the, the founder? Affleck. It's my understanding, based on my interpretation of what's uh, in public domain, the word rape was not actually used, but if you read the complaints and rulings, you could see that there was something that occurred in that doctor's office to Miss Leanne Youngblood West. There were certain allegations that she made, and as a nurse who's very familiar with uh, different types of drugs. Those accusations were pretty serious. In the ruling of uh, the appeal in the 11th Circuit of Appeals, there was more information provided. It was not fully redacted, but uh, they had to go, uh, the attorney, Ms. Youngblood West, had to fight that fight in a fully redacted and sealed proceeding. Now, when you think about what is happening, what recently happening happened with uh, Mr. Weinstein and Mr. Cosby and what happened with CBS and Mr. Munez. Uh, for in today's day and age, this post-Wells Fargo, this post-Cosby, this, this post-Harvey uh, Weinstein world, this post-Uber world, to, for the most ethical company in the world, a company founded and run under Christian morals and principles, to treat women like this is nothing less than disgusting, nothing less than horrific. One of my teammates uh, was actually called a quote-unquote liar uh, that she was sexually harassed in the workplace. A lovely African-American woman by the name of Debbie Corp. How is it that, our, that AFLAC's leadership, who touts the fact that they have two African-American businesswomen, one as the president for the entire uh, country, uh, Ms. Teresa White, and another as their... Um, uh, General Counsel, Ms. Audrey Boone Tillman, how can they treat another black woman here in the United States the way that they have? Actually call her a liar to say, okay, she was sexually harassed, maybe, but she never reported it directly to AFLAC. Why, Mr. Z's? Because every single one of us who reports something directly to AFLAC are retaliated against. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you this. Is there... 
did the uh, the judge in in all these cases the cousin of Dan Amos is he being held accountable in any way have like has anything uh, occurred based on you know what's uh, transpired um you know with with all the court cases and you calling uh those things out well, what I would assume is that uh, their, you know, their super duper goalie who's kept them safe for the last 15 years, probably you would hope, you would pray in this country isn't going to be ruling on any uh, AFLAC cases in the future. But unfortunately, who knows? Have to remember the city of Columbus is run by eight families, Mr. Aziz. And these articles are included on my attorney's website, Mr. Dimitri, on my former attorney's website, Mr. Dimitri Jaffe. Uh, in Col- the town of Columbus is run by eight families, approximately uh, who attend a group called the Fish House Gang. Several times per year, they meet in undisclosed locations to sit around and discuss the future of Columbus. Now, the Lands and the Amoses are part of, the, of this uh, group, which consists of 150 invitation-only uh, folks in the Columbus area. There's very little in public domain about the Fish House Gang. But if you're from that area in Georgia... You sure do know what the Fish House gang is because they run things down there. This is 2020. This is not 1950s Bronx, where we're talking about, you know, the Cosa Nostra, where we're talking about yeah. the movie. This is happening here in this country in Columbus, Georgia, that you have eight families that are running the entire town and that they are getting away with, apparently, literally murder. Interesting. Um, and uh, so to answer your question, you asked, what were my concerns for you? When I saw the power of Aflac and stifling uh, uh, The Intercept, who initially published, whose plan was to publish six articles, but was stopped at four, I realized that there was something that was seriously amiss. When President Carter's grandson, who is an attorney in Georgia, contacted Mr. Jaffe, our attorney, and quote unquote, advised him to withdraw his suits. I realized the power, the political and the media power that this operation has. But as I mentioned, Mr. Aziz, I received these phone calls, these texts, these emails multiple times per month. I am, by all regards, a quote-unquote civilian. The, this criminal activity is being reported directly to AFLAC Trust, to their special investigation unit, and nothing is happening. The individuals who are committing the criminal activity are still on the streets, but the people who are being reported, who are reporting it, are being retaliated against and, and intimidated. Do you think this is a, a rampant thing in, in the business world, or do you think this is just um mainly aflac that is doing a lot of this um these activities i think that at aflac my belief is that aflac it's the most rampant unfortunately there is some fraud in the insurance industry mr aziz yeah circumstances our regulators have been uh solid in policing that fraud 
but thus far, uh, what they, how they have handled this AFLAC situation has, as far as an insurance broker is concerned, has not been satisfactory. They, they have the roadmap between Wells Fargo and Japan Post scandal, and it's been out there. They have the reports. They could interview the right people. They could ask the right questions, and this, this could be brought to the forefront. This way, Americans aren't hurt anymore. I've seen too many American families uh, be hurt. I've been on the phone with too many women who are crying hysterically uh, that they can't do anything about it, that they've reported it, that they were re retaliated against, that they've gone to speak to lawyers and the lawyer says, well, your contract doesn't you know, allow us to sue for sexual harassment. Imagine that, Mr. Aziz. Here in the United States, you could be in an office be recruited under, your wife could be recruited under the AFLAC banner and she could be sexually assaulted at work, sexually uh, uh, harassed at work. And even if you went to arbitration, you would not receive a reward because sexual harassment is not uh, uh, something that is an arbitrable uh, event according to the AFLAC associate contract. So in other words, you get nothing. You don't get recourse, you don't get uh, anything happens to the individual who does it. You just got to deal with it. And if you don't like it, leave. That's the most ethical company in the world, Mr. Aziz. That's a company found and run under Christian morals and principles. And with the utmost dignity and respect, I cannot sit yeah. idle as an American and continue to receive those calls without acting. So I follow Susan Fowler's suit and post the, about the criminal activity and call out the criminals on social media. So what was this like for you becoming a whistleblower? Like, was it, was it a scary experience? Was it something that you just felt you had to do? Like what, what uh, when you made that decision, how did you come to that decision to do that? Well, it was the uh, most difficult uh, decision of uh, my life prior to my revelation. I had a revelation in large part because of the situation on February 25th, uh, 2017 in Ireland. Prior to that, I went through an incredible amount of pain and consternation on uh, reporting it. I also journaled on it, journaled on it daily. Because what I realized is this, if I reported this fraud up the chain of command, once I, before I knew everything that I knew now, I knew that it could be very damaging to the Affleck brand. Dan Amos is a salesman. He's not a very good salesman, but he's got that, cute southern draw he's got this reddish gray wavy hair he's always filmed or pictured around you know really sharp executives or african-american employees or little sick kids and when he talks he's normally on camera just for a couple minutes unless if it's during a financial analyst briefing where he's fielding questions and talking about his company well prior to me actually seeing the evidence. I saw, you know, everything happening on the streets, but realizing that this had been reported to him and his leadership team for years and years and years, I believed, I believed everything that I was being sold, that this was an ethical company, that this company was found and run under Christian morals and principles. So when I found out that it was all the line, it was crushing to me. Because I spent over at that time a dozen years of my life trying to build something with the most ethical company in the world. And I had that taken away from me 
because I confidentially reported fraud directly to the CEO. Well, that's not supposed to happen in this country. So because I have been a lifelong martial artist and I was trained on how to get up when I get knocked down, once they knocked me down, I got back up and I trained and I studied and I decided that when I did come back into the insurance industry, I would be completely evolved. So I spent the last two years, Mr. Z is training for that. I found a mentor. Uh, the, my mentor has been nothing short but a, a, of incredible. The experience, the gentleman that I told you was, has an office also in Irvine, California. His name is Mr. Darren Sugiyama. And now that I'm entering the insurance industry, I'm doing so in such a way that it's much more beneficial for every single person that I'm going to be talking to. And thus far, my re-entry has been received very well on the streets. So I'm very looking forward to the path that we are all going to have to go, go down because of this coronavirus. 100%. Um, so, it, it, I mean, re, like, despite the, the fact that uh, you, that we're going through this crisis right now, um, are, you, are you still able to get uh, opportunities in, in the field? Like you, so you said it's been, it's been uh, um, okay for you, but I mean, what, what, is, what are your thoughts on you getting back in the field and you starting a new career? Well, if, if, we're, if you asked me that question two months ago, it would probably be a different answer than it is today. Yeah. Um, two months ago, if you asked me that question, what I would have said to you, Mr. Aziz, is that our position as insurance brokers is going to evolve over the course of the next couple of years because of technology. Two months ago, I would have told you everything that I was telling everybody else on the streets that within five years, an insurance broker is not going to be allowed on the work site for employers that are that have more than 500 to 1,000 employees. But the small and the mid-sized workforce, you're still gonna be able to actually meet with the insured, meet with the policyholder, the employee, the member, to talk to them about coverage at the work site, probably at least for a decade, perhaps even 12 years. But what I realized in taking a look forward into the future for the insurance broker, I realized that when it came to dealing with the employers and employees, that we were gonna also have to evolve that we were going to have to be much more than just product salesmen, that we were going to have to be much more than just product and service salesmen, that we were going to actually have to become more or less health coaches to be able to make sure that we pull in a team of experts to help the employee at the work site, not only make sure that they and their families are covered, but make sure that they can live longer and healthier lives. So now we have this event, the coronavirus, which is going to be, uh, uh, which is going to change our future exponentially. You're working on LinkedIn, uh, which is, in my opinion, a view into the future and having nearly 40,000 followers and assisting companies and getting their messages out in LinkedIn. You yeah. probably understand this more than most. Hmm. When the earth turns back on, the questions that employees are going to have on the, at the work site center around insurance, center around health insurance, center around life insurance. Right. Because when the employee gets back to work, they're going to want to know what is and what isn't covered. Do I have access to doctors or nurses remotely? 
what are you as an employer going to do to assist me with wellness, to assist me in getting me healthier? What type of security do I have? If I get, if I get sick and I can't work, how am I going to pay my bills? What if I have to take care of somebody who's sick? Because we are no longer living in a what-if scenario. We are living in a what-happens-the-next-time scenario. So I feel as though that right now, myself and the team that I've been working with over the course of the last year and a half have been preparing for what we believe was going to be spread out over the course of the next five to eight years, but now is going to be immediate. We need to work, walk into the work site and offer solutions for our clients, not to specific products, but actual solutions. So I believe that the, our position is going to change ex- exponentially over the course of the next 12 to 18 months. Wow. Do you feel uh, there's going to be uh, insurance cr- during this coronavirus time? Do you feel like insurance is being sold more so or less so um, during this time? I guess it was, today is Friday, I guess it was Wednesday on LinkedIn, I noticed that uh, there was an increase over the course of the previous month of MIB inquiries for life insurance of, of approximately 6%. It was a post on LinkedIn. Let me explain to you what that means. When people apply for life insurance, the life insurance carriers checks with uh, the Medical Information Bureau, which is an uh, operation that collects information from all insurance carriers. By them collecting information, whenever somebody uh, submits an application that's declined, it makes sure that somebody doesn't fill an application with one carrier, get it declined, realize that it got declined because they answered certain questions, and then they're changed their que- the, the answers to those questions on a- another application with another insurance carrier. So seeing that there was a 6% increase in the matter of a month for people interested in life insurance confirmed what we already knew, that as people were starting to come back into work, they're going to start looking at insurance more and they're going to want to know what is and is not covered. So I believe that you will see uh, a significant amount of uh, interest in health and life insurance from this point going forward. So the life insurance industry is booming right now, pretty much. <laughs> the inquiries are booming. The research is booming. We're not, I personally am not uh, pitching. I will not pitch uh, yeah. until the, we see the sun, the light uh, co- coming uh, you know, up over the horizon. But the conversations are happening. More and more people are interested in what is covered and what is not covered. And how do they protect themselves and their families against the next event that happens? Because we're not what if anymore, we're what happens the next time. Have, has the, have, have more policies been bought since the coronavirus? Or is, are they just inquiring more? I would say uh, no, because uh, the people don't know when they're going to be returning back to work. And uh, except for people who have their uh, finances uh, under lockdown, uh, probably right now today are not signing applications. But my belief is that by uh, early April, mid-April, that's when you're going to see 
an increase in the amount of applications that are actually submitted to carriers. And that's just based on my objective research that I've conducted on LinkedIn. There's no authority that is stating that. That's just, you know, getting a feeling from uh, communicating with multitude of insurance brokers nationwide. Um, I, I, so let me tell you what relieves me about your, your situation, your story is the fact that you've been able to get back into the workplace relatively easy, even though you've been a whistleblower in uh, a similar industry uh, or in, in the same industry, um, which gives me hope that there's ethical people out there, you know, gives me hope that th there are, eth because if, if there, if there were more unethical people than ethical people, then they would probably try to prevent you from working with them. Right. Well, they tried. Of course they tried. Uh, yeah. When I first uh, notified Dan Amos, I took an occupation with a longtime friend's digital marketing company, AI Media Group, uh, out of uh, New York. And they have an amazing platform, Mr. Aziz. You should definitely check it out. I definitely uh, will. Uh, I took a, a position with him as his vice president of business development, and they harassed me at work. They sent me harassing emails. They uh, called my employer and you know, uh, made disparaging remarks about me. Uh, so they've, especially local sales guys, they've taken every effort to damage my career in the insurance industry. But to your point, fortunately, there's a lot of ethical people on the streets. But more so, anybody who sits down with me in a couple of meetings realizes that I have very ethical, high-level sales. <laughs> and I've taught those uh, sales skills to dozens and dozens of other representatives. So being able to sell and being able to teach people to sell as per Mark Cuban is going to be a very valuable resource in the future. I think so. I think so. I think especially during this time when people are losing their jobs and they have to rely on an employer. Um, I think it's, it's more, it's more important than ever for people to take power into their own hands and learn sales and learn how to make their own uh, money as opposed to relying on someone else, you know? Um, is, is that how you feel as well? 100% because uh, technology is taking away a lot of the everyday decisions. And yeah. when it comes, especially in the insurance industry, to protecting yourself and protecting your family, you better talk to a human. Because a human's going to understand that human factor. They're going to get that feeling with you face to face. The numbers are going to show a lot. But when it comes to making that decision on what is the best way to protect you and your family, you need to talk to a human. You need to communicate with a human. And having the opportunity to actually teach incoming, quote unquote, salespeople in the insurance and financial advising industry will be one of the greatest honors of my life. It's been one of the greatest honors of my life up until this point, because as I mentioned, I've taught dozens of people how to sell the right way. There's only one way to do business, Mr. Aziz, and that's the right way. And the fact that so many of us on the streets were pressured into committing fraud at AFAC and still are today is disgusting for the insurance industry. So I'm very looking forward to what the future will, how the future will unfold to be able to sell the right programs to the right people for the right reasons. Um, so speaking from the perspective of someone who potentially could become a whistleblower, something is, if someone is experiencing these things in major corporations, how should they, what are the first steps they should take to, to call these things out? 
I'm going to quote Susan Fowler, document, 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 screenshot, screenshot, screenshot. Once you realize that there's criminal activity going on and people were talking about it, you need to start documenting it. You need to check uh, potentially with an attorney. If you cannot afford one, make sure that you do your own research to find out if your state uh, uh, allows you to actually record conversations. It's my understanding that certain states uh, that's actually against the law perhaps uh, that you cannot record a conversation without somebody else's knowledge, but start collecting evidence. When the time comes to report, make sure that if you're going to report that to your employer that you have all your dumps in a row, no pun intended, or maybe there was pun intended. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yes. Make sure that make sure that you have everything organized. There are many people out there who are willing to help. Uh, a lovely woman by the name of Jackie. Uh, I'm friends with her on LinkedIn. I apologize. I don't. Jackie Garrick uh, runs an organization by the name of Whistleblowers of America, and uh, she's trying to make it known that people have. Uh, uh, there's ways that your voice can get out. It's unfortunate, Mr. Aziz, but we are looked at, we are frowned at in corporate America being a whistleblower. Now, that was one of the number one reasons why I did not want to be known as a whistleblower. But when the criminals at Alston and Bird, specifically Lisa Cassidy and her gross incompetence in attempting to prevent us from filing an open court and proving to the entire world that Aflac had been turned into a Ponzi scheme, placed my evidence in public domain. From that point forward, I was always, always gonna be known as a whistleblower. So I decided to follow Susan Fowler's suit and take the war, take the battle on social media in the system, which is a war that we could win. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The, the 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 social media is definitely creating um, an advantage for people like you who want to put uh, put the uh, the message out there that there's foul things going on. And uh, yeah, I mean, even in politics, every uh, social media is starting to to um, be more powerful and more powerful as the days progress. You know. Well, now the media has to start listening to it. You know, uh, they listened with Susan Fowler. They have not listened with me yet, even though there's you know, multiple journalists that we've had conversations with. But when the CEO of a company comes forward, when the accusations first come out and says, this is a small group of independent contractors, and then after that, the floodgates open up and dozens and dozens of other people come forward nationwide to say, listen, this is really what's happening on top of Wells Fargo, on top of Japan Post Holdings, on top of Uber, on top of CVS, on top of Cosby, on top of Weinstein, the media has a responsibility to act, to protect the US citizen. And it does not matter how much Aflac is spending in these media outlets on advertising. They have a responsibility to protect the US citizen. For that matter, they have a responsibility to protect the insurance industry. When this comes to light, this is going to be a stain on all voluntary insurance representatives nationwide because we were all Mr. Aziz duped into committing fraud. 
Wells Fargo clipped over 5,000 frontline workers in the weeks leading up to uh, August 2016, once uh, the CFPB and uh, City of Los Angeles fired them. Do you really think that 5,000 people woke up every single morning looking to commit fraud against uh, people in banks, look to take signatures from a 75-year-old person who's been banking there for 10 years and sign them up for an extra uh, bank account just so that they could hit a contest? How many, how many people went to jail because of that? As far as I know, zero. And that's what the problem is, Mr. Aziz. People will get fired. Uh, you know, when you look at John Stump, the uh, former CEO of uh, Wells Fargo, just a couple of weeks ago, he got hit with another 15 or $20 million fine. Uh, and, you know, people face big fines and they get fired. But nobody except for Carlos Goen at uh, Nissan has been jailed for messing with the numbers and he escaped. Wow. All right, man. Well, how, if somebody wants to get a hold of you, how would they do so? Uh, you could either uh, email me at mfconroy at hotmail.com or you could contact me on social media through LinkedIn under Martin Conroy or on Facebook, uh, the Battlefield Commander Foundation. Awesome. Thank you so much for the podcast, man. I really appreciate it and look forward to conversing with you again. Yeah, absolutely. And when I get back out to California, maybe we could have lunch. Yeah, absolutely. We could do, I have a podcast room at the office. I'm not, I haven't been going to the office lately, but uh, we can definitely do another podcast around too uh, in person. I would love to introduce you to my mentor. He's absolutely dynamic and he presents solutions. Like I said, his office is right there in Irvine. He presents solutions that right now uh, people in America need. So maybe reach out to me. Maybe I can make that introduction for you next week. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, hope you have a wonderful week and uh, be, stay safe with this uh, coronavirus pandemic. You, you too. It was great speaking to Mr. Aziz. Looking to meet you soon. God bless. God bless.